Hello everyone, it's James, and I'm back with another PSAT practice. This is, I wouldn't say part two, but episode two. So I've been thinking of maybe posting every day, maybe every other day. Um, but, but I do plan on doing at least two articles and sets of questions. Since there's really only eight questions, roughly. Eight, nine questions, maybe ten. So, yeah. Expect to see quite a bit until I can get more stuff. Alright, so without further ado, let's get right into it. So, questions 28, 9, 38 are based on the following passages and table. Yes, another table. Oh my god, so bad. Anyway, the following passages are adapted from 2013 articles about microwaves. Passage 1. It's a common fixture in household kitchens all across the United States, but remarkably few of us who use them have any real idea of how our microwave ovens work. Contrary to most other food heating appliances, the toaster, the convection oven, and the stove, for instance, the microwave itself has no internal heating element, flame, coil, or otherwise. Instead, the microwave oven uses the principle of dipole rotation to generate heat from the molecules within the food itself. I think I should read slower. Yeah, I'll read slower so you guys can understand a bit. Polar molecules, like a bar magnet, possess an electrical dipole moment and, when introduced to a strong enough electromagnetic field, will align their positive and negative ends appropriately. The microwave oven produces a strong electromagnetic field, but this is not enough to generate heat from within the food. I don't know. It, I don't know if it's just me, but I can't read slow. I'm sorry. I can. As anyone who has watched a bag of instant popcorn expand knows, the tray inside of a microwave oven rotates as the food cooks. This rotation has the interesting effect of increasing the kinetic energy of the food's polar molecules as they too must constantly rotate in order to remain aligned with the field. As they do so, these molecules rub and grind against their neighbors, converting their kinetic energy into intermolecular friction, thus evolving heat. In fact, the motion of molecules is so directly related to internal heat that one can actually... In fact, the motion of molecules is so related to internal heat that one can actually calculate a material's exact temperature by averaging... The kinetic energy of the atoms and molecules that comprise it. So that's passage one. Passage two. It is probable that humans have been cooking since not long after our ancestors harnessed the power of fire some several hundred thousand years ago. That's a long ass time. Since that time, the sophistication of our technology has increased more or less exponentially, and technology of cooking is no exception. Insofar as it pertains to heat, the nature of culinary innovation has fallen primarily into one or two categories common to many technology arcs, speed and precision. Gordon Ramsay could certainly agree. My apologies, I had to do something real quick. The first great breakthrough in cooking had to be the division of fires into their component functions. That is, a campfire used to produce light or to heat a large area is not typically the ideal fire for cooking. Once a fire ring was designated specifically for the preparation of food, the earliest earthen stoves almost certainly began to evolve shortly afterward and would have significantly increased to the degree to which primitive cooks would distribute e- heat evenly. 
discovered in the Ukraine, the, the, the Ukraine? I thought it was just Ukraine. Well, apparently not. Discovered in the Ukraine, the oldest known stoves appear to date from about 30,000 years ago and were used primarily to bake mammoth meat. Wow. The stove and the oven remain to this day our most commonly used cooking technologies. Innovations in the field of heating elements have frequently ameliorated the mechanism without much change to the principal design. The commercialization of natural gas in late 17th century England eventually gave cooks the ability to manipulate their cooking flame precisely as well as the convenience of instantaneous ignition. To this day, gas ranges are preferred by many professional chefs. Of course, ask Gordon Ramsay. The electric oven is an anomaly in the cooking technology arc, as it developed nearly 100 years after the gas oven, but it's marked markedly slower and often less precise. Nonetheless, advancements in conductive materials, convection technology, and electromagnetic induction have tremendously improved on the efficiency of the original resistive coil ranges. Electricity in the kitchen, of course, ushered in a new age of power cooking appliances. Perhaps none is more curious, clever, and common than the microwave oven. The epitome of speed cooking, the microwave uses a wholly different approach to heating food than any of its predecessors. However, its more remarkable swiftness comes at the expense of precision, particularly when dealing with physically dense foodstuffs. In consequence, the microwave is a fantastic device for thawing stored vegetables, but should hardly be relied upon to properly prepare, say, a Thanksgiving turkey or perhaps a mammoth steak. All right. The table talks about polar substances, ethanol, water, glucose, ethyl alcohol, acetic acid, and the acetic acid. Acetic acid? I don't know. Non-polar substances is methane, carbon dioxide, ethylene, gasoline, and then hexane. In line, as it is used in line 31, evolving most nearly means advancing A, B, reproducing, C, selecting, or D, generating. If we go back to line 31, it talks about um, 31 is less evolving heat. In fact, the mo so it's like evolving. So thus evolving heat, it wouldn't be reproducing because I don't know if he can reproduce. Um, and it wouldn't be like selecting, so it would be since like heat really generates, so it would be D generates. 30. According to passage 1, what is the aspect of the microwave that most distinguishes it from its other types of cooking devices? A. Its capacity to increase the kinetic energy of food. B. The precision of which it can cook food. C. Its lack of an internal heating element. Or D. The presence of intermolecular friction in its cooking process. So, we have to figure out what most distinguishes it. So we have to look for what isn't really mentioned much or what's praised the most. Um, let's see. Contrary to most other food heating. Oh, so it has it in lines 5 through 12. Contrary to most other food heating appliances, the toaster, convection oven, etc. Microwave itself has no internal heating element. Instead, the microwave would use the principal dimple reaction. So it would be C. It's lack of an internal heating element. Which choice dividing? 
provides the answer to the previous question. Um, it would be A, line 6 to 8, C, B, lines. We mentioned it was 5 to 12. So it was A, 6 to 8. What is the overall structure of passage 2? A, a persuasive argument in the favor of the use of the older cooking methods. B, a technical explanation of the workings of cooking devices. C, a survey of the gradual developments of cooking technology. Or D, an evaluation of which cooking technology is most effective in the modern kitchen. So, it really mentions, like... So, judging by what passage 2 mentions doesn't sound like an argument because it mentions like electricity in the kitchen of course ushered in a new age it doesn't say like um well i can see how it's a actually the technical explanation of the workings of cooking devices see it only mentions one so it isn't b survey of gradual development see survey it would have had like statistics then D, an evaluation of which cooking technology. Yeah, I can definitely. It would be D. Now, remember, like I said in the first episode, I don't know if I'm right or not. I'm just trying my hand. It's just like really weird okay anyway um as it is used in line 47 arcs most nearly means discharge a discharges of technology b curvatures of machinery c portion circles d lines of development 47 let's see too many technology arcs speed and precision curvatures of machine discharges of energy speed and precision aren't exactly Really, energy. Um, circles? It doesn't mention anything about circles. So, arcs, typically like in a story arc, it's like development. So, since this is really the evolution, in a sense, of technology, I would say that this is, um, this is definitely D, lines of development. So, next question, number 34. Which of the following does the author of Passage 2 state is a step backward in the progression of cooking technology? A, the electric oven, B, microwave, C, the Ukrainian earthen stove, or D, the gas oven? So, we have to look for what mentions each. So, it does mention the Ukrainian earthen stove. Um, what it doesn't say that for gas ovens, they're preferred by chefs, so they're not necessarily a step back. The microwave, let's look for the microwave, microwave, microwave. See, like a mic. So it mentions the microwave is a fantastic device for thawing stored vegetables, which should hardly be relied upon to properly prepare. So it's either the electric, the microwave, 
or the electric oven. And I don't see anything much about the electric oven. So like electricity. See, it says with the electric, it says, however, it's more remarkable swiftness comes at the expense of precision, particularly dealing with physically dense foodstuffs. But it really says it should hardly be relied, so it's B, microwave. See, with these, you really have to be careful. Okay. It is reasonable to infer that the primary scholarly field of the two authors in passage one and passage two are respectively A, cooking and history, um, B, physics and paleontology, C, science and anthropology, D, chemistry and biology. Um, okay. If we look back, clearly a majority of these options can be eliminated right off the bat. Paleontology was never mentioned, really. Chemistry and biology, it never mentions anything about chemistry formulas. Science and anthropology, I forget what that is, but I highly doubt it. So it's cooking and history, since it mentions a lot more about cooking, if anything. Unlike passage one, passage two discusses what about the microwave. Um, A, it's popularity. Um, B, it's shortcomings. C, it's methodology. Or D, it's possible applications. So we look back, the microwave, um, the microwave really, it mentions a lot, it really passage one praises it, so it would be, be its shortcomings. Based on the table and the passages, the molecular behavior of an acetic acid, acetic acid molecule introduced to strong electromagnetic field most likely resemble that of an A, stove, B, a gas range, C, a fire, or D, a magnet. So we have to look at the polar substances would be ethanol. So it mentions like acetic acid, polar. It mentions polar would be with, with A. Polar molecules like a bar magnet. So it is actually magnet because it mentions directly in their polar molecules like a bar magnet. So it's D, a magnet. Based on the information in the passages of the table, which combination of substances can reasonably be inferred um, would be most likely to be heated by a microwave oven? A, ethylene and acetic acid. B, glucose and water. C, carbon dioxide and methane. Um... D, ethyl, ethyl, alcohol, and gasoline. So we've got to look at which heat it by a microwave oven. So when it comes to the microwave oven, um, so it really mentions that it has no internal heating element. It has dipole rotation to generate heat from the molecules in the food. I guess it really depends. So it has... Let's see, the tray inside of a microwave, converting their connect, thus evolving heat. In fact, the motion of the molecules is really Um, personally, I feel that if you're really talking about it has no heat, gasoline can produce heat because, you know, if you light up gas, you get fire. So I feel like it's a...
because methane is like fuel. So the last one is about Haley's Comet. Haley's Comet, Haley's Comet, any, um, you know, astrologists who, watch, who listen to this, tell me if I'm wrong. And if I am, I deeply apologize. Let's see. Much like Old Faithful at Yellowstone National Park, by far the most well-known of the American geysers, Halley's Comet is neither the most visually brilliant nor the largest of its kind. Its renown derives from the dependable frequency with which it can be observed. Halley's falls into a category called Great Comets, which are those that become bright enough during their passage near Earth to be observed by the naked eye. Predicting whether or not a comet will be great has proven to be a treacherous task even for the most talented of astronomers and astrophysicists. The comet must pass through a relatively small expanse of space near enough to the sun to reflect a large amount of light, but remain close enough to Earth for the light to reach and penetrate our atmosphere. Don't laugh, don't laugh. Keep your minds in, in your, you know, keep your minds in your lane. I, I know that there are going to be some dirty-minded people watching this. Trust me, I know. Moreover, it is thought that a great comet must possess a large and active nucleus through the exact physics of comet nuclei, which consists of dust, ice, and perhaps particulate minerals, are still poorly understood. Even so, comets meeting these criteria have on occasion failed to achieve greatness. To date, the most recent great comet was C2006P1, which appeared in January 2007 and was the brightest in more than 40 years. Four decades. Um... Intrinsic, difficult, intrinsic difficulty of predicting a comet's greatness makes the consistency of Halley's visibility all the more remarkable. Most great comets will never pass near Earth only once every several thousand years, while Halley's does so on a cycle of about 75 years, making it the only great comet with the potential to appear twice in a human lifetime. With an eccentricity of 0.967, the orbit of Halley's comet is extremely elliptical. At one end of its major axis, Halley's is roughly the same distance from the Sun as Pluto. At the other end, it passes between the orbits of Mercury and Venus. <laughs> the highly elliptic character of Halley's orbit means that, apart from having one of the highest velocities of any body in our solar system, it passes near Earth both during its approach and its return from the Sun. So becoming visible during only one of these passes, the two near points of the orbit make Halley's the parent body of two annual meteor showers, the Eta Aquarides in early May and the Orionids of late October. I'm sorry if I get these wrong. I'm only 15 and I don't know what I'm doing. Mostly. <clears throat> Though humans have likely more of the spectacle of Halley's Comet for thousands of years, the Talmudic, the Talmudic, astronomers of the first century describe a star that appears once every 70 years to wreak havoc on nautical navigation. It was a little more than 300 years ago that Edmund Halley, a friend of Sir Isaac Newton's, used Newton's newly conceived laws of gravity to explain the motion and predict the periodicity behind of comets. By using these equations in tandem with historical records, Halley surmised that the comets observed in 1531 by German humanist Petrus Apanius a penis. It sounds like a penis. I'm sorry, but it does. No one's changing my mind on that. In 1607 by Johannes Kepler and by himself and Newton in 1683 were one and the same. 
Moreover, he predicted its return in 1758. Halley passed away in January 1742 at the age of 85, nearly 16 years to the day short of seeing his prediction confirmed firsthand. Yet in an almost poetic cyclicity, Halley's comment, the curiosity of wit, Halley had derived from the observations of two German astronomers, was observed and documented by a German former and amateur astronomer, Johann Johann Pulitzsch, tell me if I'm saying this right, I don't know, on Christmas Day, 1758. Confirmation of Halley's theory constitute the first occasion in which Western science had proven that any bodies apart from the planets orbit the sun. Halley's comet has been visible in our sky just three times since Pulitzsch's observation, but will return again sometime in the summer of 2061. That's very interesting. Um, okay. So we have 3947 answer, and I'll end it. As it is used in line four, brilliant, most, nearly means, A, luminous, B, showy, C, intellectual, or D, august. Why would august be involved? Now this comet is neither the most visually brilliant or largest of its kind. Luminous, I think, is supposed to mean beautiful. Showy's like uh, it, it would be either sh- a gust. I don't know what a gust would be. Um, so it's I. I'd say that it's a luminous. Keep in mind, I don't know what some of these words mean. Like I said, I'm going in here blind. It can be reasonably be inferred that old faithful line one. And Halley's comments share what aspect that primarily contributes to their fame. A. Presence of water. B. High eccentricity. C. Nuclear particulates. D. Periodic observability. Known. It renowned. Derives from the dependable frequency from which it can be observed. It mentions the frequency. So it's periodic observability. D. 42. Which choice best provides the best evidence for the answer? A, 5 through 7, B, 14 through 19, C, 20 to 23, D, 38 to 30M. mentioned it's observed. It's A. Okay. Um, 43. According to the passage, which characteristic of a comic is most essential to its being categorized as a great comic? The comet. A. Whether it has a significant proportion of dust nice in its core. B. Whether it has an orbital eccentricity greater than zero. C. Whether humans can observe without a telescope. D. Whether it contributes to meteor activity visible by astronomers. So, really, it's either C or D here. It would definitely be... Actually, it would be C. Because it mentioned... It's really, like, this is one of the only comets that you can see with the naked eye. 44. Which choice provides the best evidence for the answer to the previous question? A. 7 through 10. B. 21 through 23. C. 38 through 39. D. Lines 48 through 53. Allie's I really mentioned, so it would be A. I'm sorry if I'm rushing through this so quickly. It's like 7.21 at night, and I just got off of really a walk, and I'm kind of just really tired. 
So yeah, don't mind that. Um, we have 45. The primary purpose of the second paragraph, lines 30 to 53 in the passage, as a whole is to A, discuss the physical definition of elliptical eccentricity, B, prove scientific justification for rarity of Halley's predictable visibility, C, give historical evidence of human observation of Halley's velocity, or D, to differentiate from Halley from other celestial bodies such as the planet Mars. So if we look at back from 30 to 53, so it starts there and it ends there. It mentions a lot of um, visibility. It definitely like looks at the orbit and a lot of the velocity. Um, so it would be a discuss the physical definition of elliptical eccentricity. 46. The statements in 63-65 by using blank records mainly serves to A. Provide a key biological biographical detail. B. Explain how a hypothesis was created. C. Create, demonstrate a contradiction of memory. D. Show a mathematical calculation. So 63 to 63 to 65. So this is predicting the, the calculations Surmise that comets observed were one and the same. So he was predicting. So B, explain how hypothesis was created. 47. A scientist, Holly's relationship to the ideas of Isaac Newton most resembles the relationship between A, musician who uses music theory to enable creative compositions, B, a politician who uses philosophical maxims to predict. Societal outcomes. Hmm. My apologies. See a mathematician who used scientific data to justify algebraic theories. D, an engineer who used the laws of physics to build long-lasting constructions. So, if we look back at Holly's relationship with Isaac Newton, um, it says that Isaac Newton was his good friend. And they used the laws of gravity to explain the motion or predict the periodic time comments. So it would be B, a politician who uses philosophical maxims to predict societal outcomes. So that is all for today. I think if I go on any longer, I may lose a couple brain cells or two. I mean, it says stop anyway. So, it predicted me. Um, so, I'm going to stop this here. And yeah. Um, if you guys liked it, I'm going to be posting a part three tomorrow, I hope. Or episode three, whatever you podcast people want to call it. Like I said, I'm new to this. So yeah, I'm going to be Hopefully posting episode 3 tomorrow. I guess I'm at my schedule's all over the place. So I'll probably be posting different times every day. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed. And consider um, liking the podcast. Bye.